Welcome to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Connolly. Thanks so much for tuning in. We've got a great guest today to talk about a serious topic, and I can't think of anyone better to talk about this than Tim Stout, who's the sports director at WILX-TV10 in Lansing. He's the host of Stout on Sports in Lansing on 730 WVFN. He's been in the sports business for more than 40 years. He's an author and maybe the most knowledgeable person when it comes to Michigan State, not only athletic history, but just Michigan State history. And so I thought he'd be great to talk with about this. Tim, how are you? I'm good. Long time no hear, no see. Long time no hear, no see. And I probably should give full disclosure that I worked with Tim for many, many years as a sports video photographer at Channel 10 and also for many years on Stout on Sports. And Tim, I'd like to say publicly that I learned more about radio from you and was given more opportunity from you than anyone in the media business that I've come in association with. So I appreciate you very much for that. Well, I appreciate it a great deal. You got a lot of talent, so it didn't surprise me how things worked out for you either. Well, let's talk a little bit about Maya Washington, Duffy Doherty, Gene Washington. There is a lawsuit now that claims that a book and a soon-to-be-released movie about Duffy Doherty and Gene Washington, as well as several other players, is depicting those times, that story, those people, wrongly, negatively, and not factually. And I just wanted to get your take on it. Let's go back, and just from your perspective, tell us about Duffy Doherty his football program and what he did and what he meant. Well, you know, he succeeded Biggie Munn, you know, when Biggie's health caused him to move from the football field to the athletic directorship. And so Duffy, and you know, they had won the Rose Bowl, you know, and Biggie, to me, was Michigan State's all-time greatest coach in any sport, especially football. You know, he was like, what, 54-9-2, and he only got out. Again, he got him into the Big Ten and got him competitive in the Big Ten. But the timing was right for Duffy, who was an assistant coach. And, you know, when Duffy got the job, he inherited some very good players. Earl Morrill was his quarterback, and they ended up in the Rose Bowl New Year's Day in 56, and they managed to beat UCLA on a last-second Dave Kaiser field goal. There were a lot of storylines that went with it. Kaiser had never kicked a field goal. He had vision problems, but on the one kick he had to make, he made it. And in those days, there were no tie games. So if he missed it, a game would have ended in a tie. So that kind of started, you know, the legend right there that they were going into or continuing the culture that Biggie had created. It's been well documented that in those days in the United States, you know, minority athletes could not get into many, if any, of the major Southern schools. And Duffy was friendly with a number of the noteworthy college football coaches all over America. And to help him out, a lot of those coaches who couldn't get their players they wanted, guys like Bubba Smith and George Webster and so on, into school, they would say, Duffy, you know, would you like him at Michigan State, accepted them as students. And as they say, the rest is history. He drew a number minority players that made Michigan State you know, for the most part, a very good winner. Duffy had a very engaging personality that got him on the cover of Time Magazine one year, which, you know, for college football coaches, that rarely, if ever, happens, has happened since then. And that led, of course, to the 65-66 teams, which to me were the two greatest by far, by far, Michigan State football teams in history. They had four of the first eight draft picks 
in the NFL draft in 67 after those two great seasons. But if it was today that Duffy was coaching, I don't think he would have had nearly the same amount of success simply because minority athletes now are dominant, especially in football at any major school in America. So those same coaches or those same schools wouldn't be giving those players away or sending them to Michigan State the way they did then. The timing was right for Duffy and Michigan State to take advantage of that, maybe more so than anyone else. When they played Notre Dame in the 10-10 tie in 66, Notre Dame was considered the national champion which is always hard for me to accept because they only had one minority player on the entire team, and that was Alan Page. The rest of them were white players. And obviously, today, you don't see that at Notre Dame or anywhere else. So, I mean, I think Duffy's timing was right after the 10-10 tie. He finished 28-34. The president at the time, Clifton Morton, in his book, said he debated carefully about releasing Duffy. But he went ahead and let him go another year because he thought he might retire anyway. And after 72, for a variety of different reasons, Duffy stepped down. Those are the memories that I have. And it's hard to believe that it's already been 50 years since he last coached Michigan State. So in talking about the movie, which is yet to be released, although it's in the can, it is finished production, and a book that is currently out, I recently had the opportunity to interview Maya Washington, who, as you know, Tim, is the daughter of Gene Washington, who's the Hall of Fame wide receiver who played for the Minnesota Vikings, but his college career was at Michigan State. And she was very, very emotional, very frustrated that she believes Michigan State is supporting information that is inaccurate, that is not true, that is hurting those players and their legacies. From what you know of the story, what do you think? Of course, I haven't seen the movie, and I haven't read the book, so I can't really comment on something that I don't know what the contents are. I mean, all I can tell you is <laughs> Kurt Tath was a great football player here, very well-liked, a Hall of Famer in a variety of ways, another player out of the South who came to Michigan State because of the recommendation about Duffy, but what her issue is, I'm unaware of, only because I haven't seen what she disputes. So I can't comment on that just simply because I don't know what she disagrees with, which is coming out. Well, we'll talk a little bit about that next. We're going to take a quick break and have more with Tim Stout. I'm Tony Conley. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. Looking for high-quality office furniture on a budget? Stop by the office outlet at 516 North Larch in downtown Lansing for huge savings. We've got new and used office furniture from brand-name manufacturers, all at discounted prices. Browse through 5,000 square feet and save on seating, desks, files, storage, and more. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. The office furniture outlet is your destination for office furniture on a budget. Visit us online at officeoutletyes.com. Welcome back. I'm Tony Conley. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. We're talking with Tim Stout, who's the sports director of WILX TV, Channel 10 in Lansing. He has one of the most popular sports talk radio shows in the state of Michigan. Also an author and well-versed in athletic history here in the state of Michigan. And Tim, in a jest, and I know you haven't really read 
all the information you need. But in jest, Maya is saying that Duffy Doherty is presented as of somewhat being involved in a, there was racism involved in his staff, that the players were engaged in things that they shouldn't have been engaged in, and that some of those players aren't here to defend themselves. And the things that were depicted were not true. So as you mentioned, you don't know a lot about it, but Tell us what you can about Duffy, his staff, and the program. I don't know anything about any issues necessarily behind the scenes other than the fact that the players on those teams, to my knowledge, always spoke extremely highly each other. The staff that Duffy had, most if not all of them, had success later on in their careers, you know, moving elsewhere. I mean, he had a very talented staff. All I can tell you is I never had reason to believe that Whatever internal problems they may have had had anything to do with race that I'm aware of. I mean, again, I'm not in the locker rooms with them. I wasn't in practice per se. I mean, in the later years, when they were asking, we asked them, you know, on milestone years of those teams, Duffy had to defend himself against some boosters at times in his career that I'm aware of who made reference at the time to the number of minority players that he had on the field and in his lineup that he could find out what you want about that in Duffy's book, which he wrote with Dave Dials right after he got done. And he, you know, somewhat extensively, you know, talks about how he assembled those teams and those rosters with those players. But I know I roomed with his son in college. I grew up across the street. I ran with his son in high school on a cross country teammate. So I mean, the fan, my sister was close with his daughter, you know, growing up and all that. I mean, to me, you know, Duffy was as equal opportunity as you could possibly imagine, especially for the times that I'm aware of. If he had any troubles that I'm remotely aware of, it would be with, you know, any boosters he had that did not think Michigan State, how should I say this, you know, maybe the racial makeup for the times that we lived in back in the 50s and 60s were agreeable to everyone. But the rare times that that may have come up, Duffy bristled at that. He disregarded it, to my knowledge, to my experience. And he was loyal to all of his players, to my knowledge, no matter what their background was. I have no reference in any way. I do think that his successor, Denny Stoltz, inherited some of those boosters that eventually, you know, led them into some NCAA violations, which got them on probation, which eventually cost Denny his job down the road. And Denny, who just passed away at the age of 91, when he got the job, you know, he was a compromised choice when Duffy stepped down after 1972. And I do think Duffy may have had some baggage amongst the boosters who did what they had to do or wanted to do what they had to do to get Duffy better players so that he could remain the football coach at Michigan State. Because like I say, he had a losing record after the 10-10 tie. But Duffy would tell you when he lost president when their facilities did not match up to snuff with other Big Ten schools or their schedule, when he had issues with then athletic director Biggie Munn, which caused the president to divide athletics into two different camps. One was football, one was the athletic department. None of that which you see today, but for the times, that's the way that worked out. But relative to race, I mean, to me, Michigan State was the garden of Eden among college football schools that I'm aware of. So if anybody had any issues behind the scenes, player to player, player to coach, I have no knowledge of that. We're going to take a quick break and have one more segment with uh, Tim Stout. I'm Tony Conley. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. 
For something to grow, it takes time. Like the equity in your home. That's why LaughQ offers a home equity line of credit. Because frequent watering of your houseplants may be recommended. Now can we get a new roof? Not so much the rest of the house. Want the best rates for a home equity line of credit? Ask for LaughQ. Stop in today or go to LaughQ.com slash home equity. LaughQ, your credit union for life. Welcome back. I'm Tony Conley. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. We're talking with Tim Stout, who's the sports director of WILX TV. Tim, when it comes to the biggest influence for growth for the Michigan State football program, who had the most influence? Was it Biggie Munn or Duffy Doherty? Well, they were both good in their own different ways. I mean, Biggie came on before Michigan State was in the Big Ten. Biggie was very proud. He had an ego. He had very high expectations of excellence. You know, he was close to the players, but he was an enormously competitive guy in every single thing that he did. And I think when he watched some of Duffy's teams and players play at times, you know, he wasn't always happy simply because Duffy's record, he was 109 and 69 with five ties. That's a winning record, which got him into the Hall of Fame. But Biggie's record, percentage-wise, was much greater. But then Biggie only coached seven years, not 19 like Duffy did. But, you know, look, they were both influential in a way then that Tom Izzo is in a way now in basketball. They were the dominant coaches and personalities on campus because athletics is on the front porch of exposure of these universities, and those two were it. And Duffy got a lot of publicity because of his personality, maybe that Biggie did. Remember, Biggie put the groundwork together and when Michigan State entered the Big Ten and it had Michigan State had success in the Big Ten, you know, the first 10, 15 years, you know, maybe that it hasn't enjoyed in football since then to that degree with a couple of exceptions. Tim, talk about the media coverage back in Biggie's and Duffy's era as compared to now. And obviously, the coverage is much more intense now, especially with social media. But when it comes to the media being fair and balanced when covering Michigan State, what's your take on that? Well, I always thought it was. I mean, you always had, it's never changed through the years that there are those who believe the Detroit media always favors Michigan. My answer to that is twofold. Michigan wins a lot. And also, Michigan's in the backyard of Detroit. I don't think that's a bias as much as it is the reality of who the audience is there. But Michigan State had, you know, I mean, I don't remember any of those football games where all the Detroit media wasn't there covering it one way or the other. All of the Detroit media, I know, had full access and enjoyed visiting with both Biggie and Duffy. You know, Duffy at times had his differences with some of the columnists like Joe Falls in Detroit. But for the most part, you know, I think fans get carried away when things are both good and when they're not good. And in this rivalry through the years, I've always felt that some of the Michigan State people get very sensitive when anything about Michigan, whether it's academic, athletic, or otherwise, uh, gets exposed you know, to the public one way or the other. But I never thought to myself that this is, look, when Michigan State wins at basketball, they're all over the place in the terms of the media, right? Uh, football, 
you know, it's a little bit different now. Simply, Michigan is, you know, just look at the records. Things are a little bit different now. And back then, those guys made themselves available constantly, as Tom Izzo does now. If you wanted to visit with those guys one way or the other, it was going to happen, and Michigan State made them all available. Today, it's far more behind the scenes, in my opinion, at least in football. It isn't in basketball. I mean, Izzo's available in the middle of the night if you need them. And Duffy and Biggie were that way, as I remember it, that way, too. I never had trouble back in the early 70s getting a hold of either one of them. All right. He would win or lose. All right, final question for you, Tim. I know you have to get ready for your next newscast. Just give us your brief assessment of where the Michigan State football program is now and what you expect in the 2023 season. Well, the expectations nationally for them this fall are not very high. I think one thing they're up against is the monstrous expectations for Michigan. I mean, Michigan has come out of a little bit of the doldrums the last two years. You know, I mean, they've won two Big Ten titles. They beat Michigan State last fall. They've won twice against Ohio State. They've made the Final Four. They have a coach who gets a lot of coverage in Jim Harbaugh for one reason or another. And... You know, the last year or so for Michigan State football simply has not been to that level. In the schedule that they play, you know, with Penn State, Ohio State, you know, some of these other schools that they got to play, including Washington this fall, I think they'll win the first two games against Central Michigan and Richmond. But look, they've got a lot of holes. They got a lot of things they got to change. They lost a very good punter. They lost a good place kicker. They got a lot of holes to fill. I have no idea the new players coming in, how much they will or will not help. You know, Biggie and Duffy never had to deal with name, image, and likeness issues, and it would have been a difficult transition for them. Believe me, they never had to deal with a transfer portal. That would have been a difficult issue. So how all of that is going to play a part in all of this moving forward is tough to say, other than the fact that I don't see them finishing ahead in the East Division the last year of the divisions of the Big Ten. I don't see them ahead of Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan. And then after that, between Maryland, Indiana, and Rutgers, you know, they already lost to Maryland and Indiana a year ago. So could they lose to them again? They were 5-7 and seven a year ago. I kind of think with an unproven, inexperienced quarterback with fewer receivers than what they hoped for, I think they're kind of in that neighborhood of that same space again. Tim Stout is the sports director at WILX TV 10 in Lansing, the host of Stout on Sports on the game, 7.30 a.m. He's a columnist and author. Tim, I appreciate you so much, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Tony. I'm Tony Conley. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network.